Welcome to Podlands, the last word in podcasting news. It's Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio, a DAB radio station covering the Thames Valley. Hi, it's Harry Durand, founder of Fullcast and host of Podcast Chunkies and the Birth of Farming Podcast. Stay tuned for my segment later in the show. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 3,847 people started a podcast with Buzzsprout. You can too at buzzsprout.com. And if you use chapters in your podcast app, then Buzzsprout supports those, and so do we. So, James, what are we going to talk about this week on the show? I think we should start off with a story that Ashley Carmen, I think, broke on Bloomberg. It's a story about Substack getting into podcasting. Why would Substack, A, I guess, for those who don't know, what is Substack, James, and why are they now moving into podcasting? Well, they say that they're moving into podcasting, but better. It's a company that makes uh, paid newsletters, so you can um, pay money to get uh, newsletters on there. And obviously, you can uh, have a look at that and go, well, why don't you make paid podcasts as well? They've actually been uh, making podcasts available on Substack for a while, but they've properly beefed it up and launched it, actually noticing that they've poached some podcasts from Patreon as well, which is interesting. But it's just another podcast host. If you want to host your podcast for free on Substack, then you can. But obviously, you can then charge for additional episodes and charge a monthly fee. So you're a perfect example. And I saw this story of somebody who has a newsletter and a podcast, right, of that same newsletter. Is that something that you would ever, not you directly, I guess, in this case, because you'd never move off your platform. But would it be a natural evolution to move into podcasting? Yeah, I mean, you could see that for somebody like Sounds Profitable or for Earbuds or any of those newsletters, then you could see that there's an opportunity there in terms of having a decent podcast, which is also a decent newsletter platform and charging for access to that. It's not the way that either of those work, nor that Pod News works. But I think you can certainly see that there are opportunities there. Brian Barletta are actually noticing that they are offering podcast hosting without being IAB certified. And Brian foaming at the mouth about the IAB, which he's had a thing about for uh, quite some time as well. I'm not sure it matters, particularly as long as they're following the IAB guidelines and rules. Now, it just made me also think, would Medium get into this, given the roots of the founder coming from Twitter? Do you think Medium might start to go, maybe we should move into that as well? And Medium have been talking about audio for a while. Evan used to run uh, audio prior to running Twitter, so he knows a thing or two about podcasting. That said, Medium appears to be doing quite a few changes at the moment. So I blog on Medium and they appear to have um, just taken the uh, opportunity of posting new stories away from their apps. So you can only do that online now on a web browser, which seems a little bit strange. And they've changed the way that creators are paid. So I'm not necessarily sure that uh, Medium is going to jump into this sort of thing. Medium to me seems to be a company which is floundering a bit, and I'm not quite sure that it knows what it wants to do in terms of payment and everything else. I guess we, we'll see whether Substack actually makes any ripple in the podosphere, or it'll just be one of those add-on features that nobody ever uses. Hmm. Anyway, moving on. Yes, that may well be the case. To YouTube or not to YouTube, to quote Mr. Shakespeare from Hamlet, it's the podcaster's dilemma. Should they be using YouTube? Now, we talked about this last week 
And of course, Tom Webster at the Edison Research at Podcast Movement Evolution said that YouTube is the third most popular podcast platform in America. And of course, you broke the exclusive last week about the UI potentially that YouTube will use. But having said all that, Refonic revealed in its data that it could well be worth it for English language shows to be using YouTube. James, what did you think of their data? And is this backing up what you think? Yeah, so Refonic have pulled a bunch of different pieces of data out there. Quite a lot of it is based on Google Trends, which I always think is a bit of a weird way of doing research on this sort of thing. But nevertheless, they say that uh, there's been a massive increase in YouTube searches for the word podcast in the last two years. Ireland, for example, is uh, much more likely to search for podcasts on YouTube than Italy or Spain, for example. I'm looking at that. I'm just sort of wondering whether people are actually searching for the word podcast or are they really searching just for content and are they finding content in YouTube that just happens to be a podcast? I would probably suggest it's the latter. But interesting to see the data from Refonic, at least, which is useful. I listened to a grumpy Adam Curry's podcast last week. That was a man who needed a holiday. My goodness. He basically thinks that YouTube podcasting is a waste of time because he comes at this from a viewpoint of it's not about numbers, it's about engagement. And he would rather 200 people who think, who are contributing to his podcast and doing a valuable thing than 20,000 people, of course. And he's absolutely fine to have that point of view. And it's not necessarily the point of view that many podcasters have. And I think influence comes in numbers more than anything else. But what do you think we should be doing with YouTube, Sam? Well, surprise, I thought I'd go and create us a YouTube channel. Now I'm stuck. (laughs) Uh, No one wants to see us, James. No one wants to see us. Certainly not me in the morning. Um, But on a more serious note, I actually might try and experiment with using Headliner. So what I've done is I've used the Headliner app and I've set up the RSS feed into that and it automatically post that full episode into YouTube. We'll just try it for a couple of weeks and see how it goes, James. Indeed, we'll give that a go. So you can just find us if you do a YouTube search for Podland, I'm guessing, and uh, we should be in there somewhere. After a few people have liked our page and whatever, I can then actually change the URL. Indeed. To me be more friendly, but I can't do it right now. And there's a bunch of other Podlands in there, so I'm sure that they will be <laughs> delighted. There's a young man wearing a suit who's called himself Podland who has 15 subscribers. Dan Meisner from Pacific Content also posted a very interesting blog all about the different types of podcast on YouTube. He reckons that there are four different kinds. Interestingly, the YouTube PowerPoint presentation that I saw actually said that they had six different kinds. So he's got four of those so far. Fit his graph otherwise. No, it wouldn't have fitted his beautiful graph. But Dan has done quite a lot of, uh, of interesting work on that, which is worthwhile having a peek at, I think. Another person has uh, been looking at it. Jeff Fiddler from Signal Hill says, YouTube is the elephant in the podcasting room. I guess that's what we're all talking about, really, aren't we? Saying that until this new UI's dropped, we're all sort of surmising what is YouTube's podcasting strategy. And we're also surmising, is it going to be worthwhile at the end of the day 
hosting. Indeed. We have heard an awful lot of people saying it's going to be amazing, it's going to be the best thing ever. And other people like uh, Adam Curry saying couldn't care less, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, interesting to see what happens there. Google have a pretty good track record of promising the earth and doing nothing. So it'll be nice to see that record being uh, broken, hopefully. But it would be good, obviously, to continue growing the medium and anything that has the capability of growing the medium is a good thing. Indeed. Now, moving on, uh, a story that you covered, Pod Machine, a new company has been launched, a tool to grow and edit your podcast for you and even manage guests. It takes 48 hours to edit a show and it starts from $49 a month for four weekly shows. Uniquely, the tool also includes advertising in other podcasts and you can try the service free. We understand it can be white labeled even so maybe third parties use it. Now, James Woods, have you tried Pod Machine? Did you have a sniff of it? I chatted with uh, Ron Baitlong uh, a couple of weeks ago and was learning a little bit more about Pod Machine and what it is. But basically, if the only thing holding you back in your podcast is someone to edit your audio, then Pod Machine will do that for you. And $49 a month for four shows is pretty good value. They've done some very clever sort of machine learning stuff and, and everything just to keep their workflow to a minimum, but it does look pretty good. It's all based in the Philippines where the wages are low and everything else, but they still do a pretty good job. So that's nice. And one of the clever things is that when you buy a package from them, you also buy advertising in some of the other shows that they do. So actually, it's a very interesting way of promoting your podcast on other shows. Not quite sure exactly how the advertising works, but I know that it does include an amount of impressions on other shows, probably in the Podcast Network Asia shows, but also in other ones as well. So very clever idea and really using the benefits that you get from being in Southeast Asia in terms of wages and in terms of uh, time zones and everything else to make something which should really help some people that um, just need their audio edited and m made it sound, you know, halfway decent. Worth a go. I think the price point's quite interesting. The reason I say mm. that is because... I caught up at Podcast Movement with a, a great guy called Harry Durrett. We have a new entry ad. Durren Durren. So it's Harry Duran, not Durren. Of course it should be, as everybody knows, Duran Duran. There you go, I'll get it right. Sometimes you mispronounce things. I do, I do apologise. None of us are too big to apologise. Sorry about that. So I, at Podcast Movement, I met up with a great guy called Harry Duran. No relation to the band. And Harry's company fullcast does this as well for a lot of podcasts he's been doing it for a while and he outsources it as well to singapore but they do a lot more they also do all the social media and much more but harry gave a talk at podcast movement that was really great sadly it was on the last day but he started a, a new podcast which is about vertical farming now most people go, oh, that's so niche. Why are we even talking about it? What Harry did was he actually raised $9,000 in sponsorship even before he'd started his podcast. And I thought with all the people who have podcasts going, oh, I must reach a 1,000 downloads before I go and talk to a sponsor. Harry basically has shown us how you could actually, if you want to, do the planning, do the preparation in advance and go and get a sponsor even before you start a podcast. So I thought I'd catch up with him and find out what is a vertical farming podcast and how he did it. A pleasure to finally meet in person at Podcast Movement Evolutions. It was great fun. Now, where are you based in the US so we can pinpoint you? 
I'm in the Midwest for the first time in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But from going way back, I was born in El Salvador. I grew up in New York, just outside in Yonkers, and then grew up in New York City. You can hear that New York accent in the background. So let's start off with what is Podcast Junkies? Let's kick off with that one. So back in 2014, I went to a conference called New Media Expo. I was working on a, a mobile app for DJs because that's my very first passion, electronic music. I grew up DJing on vinyl, turntables and all that. So Snap. Um, <laughs> I realized how hard it was going to be to interview DJs and I pivoted to interviewing podcasters. I was inspired by Inside the Actor Studio. There's a show here in the States by James Lipton where he would interview actors for an hour at a time and you get to understand what they're about. And I thought... What about that? Basically tell the story of podcasters behind the mic, why they started the show, what inspired them. And also as an aside, because I was doing video at the time, back in 2014, it was my way to establish a one-to-one face-to-face connection with podcasters and, and then get to know the community. And so when I would go to podcast conferences afterwards, I'd say, Harry, that was a great conversation we had. So that was all strategic in my mind, just to make my way and, and learn more about this industry and meet the folks that were making waves in it. Now, how long have you been podcasting? Give us a bit of the timeline. Yeah, I launched this show in April of 2014. So now I'm closing in on episode 290. So eight plus years. Actually, April 5th today when we're recording. So we are probably somewhere in the vicinity of my eight-year anniversary. <laughs> Happy podcast anniversary. Now, the reason I asked for that little side note of your background is because at Podcast Movement, you gave a talk on something called Vertical Farming, which is one of your new podcasts. Not something that people would think naturally is a thing. A, a Vertical Farming seems very niche. And secondly, to talk on a podcast about Vertical Farming seems even niche, uh, if that's a word. But having said that, everyone who went to that talk thought it was a great talk. And part of the reason they thought it was a great talk, and the key of why I wanted to talk to you about it, was you raised a significant amount of sponsorship money in advance of you starting that podcast. I think for any podcaster out there who's looking to start a podcast, even if it's as niche as vertical farming, can raise funding. So a lot of discussion around podcasting is, oh, I've got to start my podcast. I've got to get to show 50. Then I've got to get to 10,000 listeners and then I can get a sponsor. You proved that wrong. How did you do it? So I backed my way to that math because using that CPM model, the go-to rate is probably $25. And let's say I magically do get to that 10,000 download number. That's 10 times 25, $250. Let's say I do a weekly show. It's $1,000 a month, which is not going to sustain anything I'm trying to do or anything that's going to motivate me enough to continue. So I knew that ahead of time. And I said, but that's not the, the path I wanted to go down. At Fullcast, we are a full service agency. We handle all aspects of the audio, the editing, the production, the show notes, the marketing, the graphics. So I said, okay, we have that part nailed down. As far as interviewing skills, I've been doing my show for seven years. So I'm very comfortable with long form interviews, even on a topic I'm not the subject matter expert in. I was given a book called Abundance by Peter Diamandis. It's a book about future technologies. There was a chapter on vertical farming, which led me to a book called uh, The Vertical Farming by Dixon Despommier, he's a professor in Columbia, devoured that book. And I was like, this is a very niche industry. I did a little bit of research, lots of funding. I think at the time I did my research, $14 billion in funding coming in projected by 2026. All the signs similar to what we see in podcasting, a lot of VC money, which equals marketing dollars. So I started putting all the pieces together and I said, can I 
create my own podcast client. And that was the initial thought. And so in late 29, I started grabbing all the URLs like an entrepreneur is, is likely to do verticalfarmingpodcast.com. And then a little bit later, I talked about this in the talk, Vertical Farming Jobs and Vertical Farming Weekly, because I was already thinking about this. What are the other platforms I can leverage? Again, this is 101 SEO best practices we talk to our clients about. Don't be too cute or overthink the name. I said, let me just call it what it is. It's the Vertical Farming Podcast. So if you Google those three words, my podcast is the very first thing that shows up in the Google search. And so I said, the only way to make it visible and attractive to future guests is to focus specifically on founders and CEOs only. I didn't want to talk to the marketing folks or just PR folks about the industry, which a lot of podcasters do. I knew ahead of time that if people were going to take me seriously, they would probably start to look at my back catalog. I was already thinking about that ahead of time. So I just started with like the early folks in the space, people who ran um, new sites about vertical farming. And thankfully enough, they agreed to come on. But what I did to them at the time, since I was new to the space, I said, I'm, I'm learning a lot about the space. These are the names of the people that I'm looking to interview. So I, I name dropped someone I hadn't spoken to, but I, I knew who's who. So they would see the names and, and they saw that I had a solid plan. And I said, look, I've been doing this for almost seven years. I, I know what I'm doing. And by the way, it's going to be high quality because we own an agency. Those few things got my foot in the door and allowed me to stair step my way to start having these conversations. I had my third or fourth conversation with a CEO of a company called Intelligent Growth Solutions in Scotland. And this was just when the pandemic hit, which was, I thought was going to derail the show. I said, do you still want to have the conversation? He said, yes, we had a fantastic conversation. I said, by the way, we're looking for sponsors for the show. He transferred me to his marketing guy in Chicago. Great conversation. Again, it was a moment in time, Sam, as you might imagine, if you remember back COVID, that March, April window, the whole world felt connected because we were just like all going through the same experience. And I said, how much are you spending on these? Did you spend on these booths and these conferences that you can't go to anymore? And he said, you know, about $20,000. So in my mind, I basically cut that in half and came in a thousand under. I said, what about $9,000 to sponsor our podcast, which will get you an audience of folks specifically interested in vertical farming. He thought about it maybe for about a minute. He said, like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And but, so, but again, did he not say how many users have you got or listeners? No, he, he just wanted to know what my plan was for the show and he, he, who I was going to speak to. And I think in his mind, he's the marketing guy. He saw that there's going to be high quality production. I knew what I was doing and he saw who I had lined up already. And I had just had an hour long conversation with his CEO. So it came in as a referral from his CEO who said, you should talk to Harry. And then I look back on it. There's no one thing to point to, but the fact that those six, seven years of honing my interview skills allowed me to have a really engaging one-to-one -one connection with a CEO of a company where he felt like I really enjoyed myself. By the way, subsequently, I had a second conversation with him later on in the season. So we've had two interviews with that CEO who came back to me later when they went to raise their second round of funding. He said, hey, Harry, can you send me those two recordings? The team really enjoyed it. We want to send it to our, our investors because we're raising another round. So that just speaks to the quality of making sure like you don't scrimp on any of the pieces because if I had a, a, a horrible conversation or a horrible interview, he would have said, this guy doesn't know what he's doing and, and probably wouldn't have made that intro. So in retrospect, it's a lot of little things that happen, but there's a lot of preparation that went into that happening, you know, what they say about luck, it's when preparation meets opportunity. And so I felt like I was prepared for that moment. And so 
the onus was on me to make sure that once it, we locked them in, I did everything possible to highlight that sponsor in the best possible light. So if you listen to the show, and this is going on now into season five as we're about to launch, the very, very first thing you hear, Sam, is not a cold open snippet of a guest or the conversation. It's me doing an ad read for that sponsor. So the, as soon as you hit play, the first thing I'm talking about is the sponsor. Everything that we do in our socials, we tag the the sponsor, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And so we're making sure we give them the show notes, prominent feedback. Every opportunity I get to highlight the sponsor, I'm doing that. And that's why subsequently seasons two, three, four, uh, and now going into five and six, we've been able to continuously continue with that same sponsorship um, package with different sponsors. Okay. Coming back to it, is this sponsor going to renew? When does that renewal occur? Or will you switch it out to another sponsor? And in which case, are you using anything like DAI so that you can actually just back catalog all that sponsorship? I think because of the price point. So we got a season two sponsor, a different company um, at a lower price point, And then someone came in for a smaller run of five episodes. And then we got a season three sponsor. Our season four sponsor renewed a company called uh, Cultivated, which again, if you think about what I'm doing, even on this podcast, even what I did at the conference, like if I can mention Intelligent Growth Solutions series, Cultivated, these are the companies that went out of their way to sponsor my show. So I always go out of my way to do anything I can to spread the word about what they're doing. What happened with Cultivated as we were wrapping up season four, I said, you get first right of refusal. And I shared the link and I'm happy to share the link with your audience as well. Sam, of the sponsorship page I built in a tool called Notion. In the tool, I mention here are all the socials that we've created just to promote this episode. And again, going back, I grabbed all those socials probably about three to six months before I launched the show. So Vertical Farm Pod, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn page has about 3,000 followers now. So I knew I needed places to promote the show. So they see all that. They see all the list of of past guests now, which is now four seasons, 13 episodes in each season. I think about a season as a quarter coming from corporate, 13 weeks. So now that allows me to know that's a finite window of 13 episodes. And then I'm already thinking of renewal options. So Cultivated came in a season four. And as I went back to them and saying, hey, are you interested in season five? He said, actually, we're just going to do a package for season five and six. And so they paid me one price to do five and six, paid ahead of time. And in his own words, Sam, he said, we're not letting this go. Nice. Nice. What he said is we're hearing folks come to us and say, we heard you on the podcast. And that as a podcaster, that's all you need to hear to know that you're doing something right. And just to be fully transparent, it gets about 2000 downloads per episode. So imagine if I tried to do the CPM model on there, I'd be getting $50 an episode in exchange. I feel confident for the value I'm providing them. Again, coming from corporate, Sam, and you could probably relate to this, podcasters undersell themselves and, and the value of their platforms. I used to work at E-Trade and JP Morgan Chase in marketing. And I'd know the finance team would come down and say, Hey, we're getting to the end of the year. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. And we're talking about budgets of hundred thousand dollars, hundred, you know, $200,000, $50,000 is to offer a podcast sponsorship in the, the range of like 10 to $15,000. It's, it's not a lot, especially Unlike radio, unlike billboards, this is something you can actually see the ROI on because you'll know people are talking about it and you can see in all your socials, I'm tagging them every single time. We've now created the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. So every week I say, our sponsors cultivated. I now created the Vertical Farming Jobs. 
board and it's a free job board, but I put their logo there. So now it's all these different ways. And by the way, all those platforms cross promote each other as well. So again, the marketing brain kicking in. And as I think about these cross promotional opportunities, it's almost developing now what's called the vertical farming hub. And we're now in talks with another job board that's specifically for hydroponics and the people from Cultivate, my sponsor said, Hey, you guys should talk and we should all three of us go together and rather do different things. Let's build up this job board. So these alliances and these partnerships are happening organically. And I went to my first vertical farming conference like last month in Las Vegas <laughs> as well to just get to know some of the people that had, that I had met and interviewed on the show. It's been a, a fascinating experience. And I guess you'll still be doing this in a few years' time. It's not a sell podcast, is it? It's not something you're building to sell. I think looking down the road, I, I, obviously there's a big dependency on me as the host. And I think the, the one of the selling points and one of the attractions of the show is the fact that I have a casual origin story conversation with these founders and these CEOs. And I keep getting feedback repeatedly from listeners that say, I've heard the CEO on other shows, but I haven't heard him get into his personal story like he does with your show. And I think maybe it's because I'm not the expert in the space. I'm not intimidated by these names at all. And I'm sure others in the space would be like, oh, I can't believe you spoke to that person. I'm like, just like we always say, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. And I'm just trying to connect with him human to human. So that's been really the feedback. So obviously, if I were to think about a way to transition out, it'd be hiring or or finding someone who, quite honestly, not really a subject matter in the space, but someone who's a really good interviewer. Because that's the key. And as I think about that model, anyone who's listening, naturally, as an entrepreneur, I'm always thinking about new places. I keep watching this alternative protein, cellular protein field, which I see the exact same thing happening, growing just as fast, just as much money coming in. But this could be applied to so many different niche industries. If you're laser focused on making sure that you're creating a platform that people in the industry want to come to and get and, and listen to. Great advice. Thanks, Harry. Now, you mentioned you're an entrepreneur. You've also got another company that you've been working on called the Podosphere that you've been building. What is the Podosphere? So we have a mutual friend, uh, James, who started Pod News, all the pods. This is the thing. What's funny for me is I would listen to Pod News, all these companies, and it's just anything with a pod. I think anything with a pod in the domain is probably taken by now. But it was funny to hear how many companies started and, and closed. And I just like, out of curiosity and just interest in the space, I opened up an air table and I said, how many companies are there in this space? hundred companies, 200, 300, 400. Now we're up to 600 companies. This is interesting. And I started tracking them in what little spare time I had. And then I said, maybe if there's a way for people, I, I remember in the past couple of years ago, people would say, which is better, Lipson or Blueberry? And inevitably they would send people to like a Facebook thread and they said, they're talking about it here. Go check it out. And I'm like, this is not like the best experience. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, I think about sites like G2U.com, Yelp, Trustpilot, Captera, and all the, all these platforms where people can get trusted information on podcast tools and services. And so that was the goal. Thankfully, I learned a little bit of no-code tools and I launched it and tested it out. And I was accepted into OnDeck's uh, no-code cohort. It ran for eight weeks and I had it as my MVP project to launch. So Got it out as a prototype and thankfully found our technical co-founder, Brad Nolan, and who's got experience in the radio world. And so now we've been slowly building it up. We, we did another sort of soft launch at, at Podcast Movement Evolutions. And it's essentially, it's uh, thepodosphere.com and it's a marketplace. Uh, initially, right now, as companies can claim their profile, update their information, 
and people can come and leave ratings and reviews on the site. Next phase would be for actual podcasters to claim their services and build what's called their podcast stack. So then it's a common question, podcasting, what tools do you use, what services do you use? You can say, oh, this is my stack on the podosphere. So lots of ideas. Again, it feels adjacent to the work I'm doing in the podcast space. So it doesn't feel like anything above and beyond to stretch me out of my comfort zone and also build on the relationships I've been creating and, and nurturing this space for the past eight years. So that sounds like a really cool tool that people are going to want to be able to use. How do you monetize it? Simple sponsorship. So right now we're thinking about placement on the site. So you'll have placement above the fold, probably for about eight to 12 companies who want to do global placement at a price point, probably looking at $500 a month for that. And then if you're a company within your specific category, one of the things we did with the categories is map them and align them to what Brian Barletta and Magellan put together in terms of the, the high level categories for podcast services. So we made sure we were in alignment with that. And if you wanted to claim for your hosting company and you wanted to, at a lower price point, you can claim to be featured um, in the hosting category, specifically if you're a Buzzsprout, if you're a, a Lipson or a Blueberry. Let's just take a quick break. Welcome to High Street Matters, a regular podcast from Byra, the British Independent Retailers Association. My name's Steve Dyson, and I'm a journalist who's interviewing top business owners and experts here at Byra about issues which impact independent retailers today. We'll be talking to a cross-section of our members from around the UK, from single retail outlets to small chains, and from large department stores to leisure and hospitality. We plan to provide top tips to help businesses stay ahead of the retail curve. High Street Matters. Thanks for listening. Okay. So what is Fullcast? Give us a a little bit of a deeper dive into what Fullcast is. It's about a year into Podcast Junkies, but what I did with Podcast Junkies is I was just exiting my nine to five and I started the podcast. I basically did everything. Interviewed the guest, booked the guest, created the artwork, created the website, created the marketing materials, posted on social, edited the episode, wrote the show notes, had the communication to the guests. I feel your pain. I feel your pain every week. As most podcasters who are listening do as well. But the beauty of that, Sam, was that I realized all the things that make a podcast successful. And as I was working with a business coach at the time, and I remember being in that session and saying, oh, and and, and it was a high-priced mastermind. I think people were paying probably 2K a month to, to be in the mastermind. I was like, these people understand opportunity costs and what an hour of their time is worth. I want to create an offering in podcasting that says, hey, you don't have to worry about all the things that need to get done. We'll just do it all for you. And I remember my first client came from that mastermind and I said, can you do this? I basically said yes to everything he asked because I knew that's what he wanted to get off his plate. Can you do this? Will you do this? Can you write the show notes? Can you post it to my site? Can you do the, the graphics? And I was like, yes, because I was creating the offer. And I just realized you just... The people who are successful, to get to the point where they are, they ask not, how can I do it? They ask, who can do this for me? And that's the basis of how Fullcast was built. And then we've been doing that since 2015, just full service done for you agency. So that's really interesting, Harry. Just understanding, if I came to you as Fullcast and I said, look, hey, we've got Podland. I have to do all this stuff. I have to do my show notes and I have to edit it and I do all these things. 
roughly ballparkish. What sort of pricing am I looking at? Because again, it goes back to what you said about vertical farming. I have to balance that against what sponsorship I have and how much time I have. So if I've got some sponsors and I haven't got sufficient time, then I off trade that with somebody like yourself. But how do you price that? Yeah. One of the, the early questions I have is who's the audience? what your call to action is, what you want a listener to do as a result of having listened to the episode. How are you looking to monetize the podcast? Because it could be a hobby show, right? And, and maybe our services are probably going to be a bit too much for you. But if you're looking at this as an integral part of your business and to grow your business, I would then ask what's an average um, lifetime value of a customer for you? Because I'm thinking about these things because I want you to think about clearly like how you're moving people and making the podcast an integral part of your marketing. You can have it as a hobby and you could be independently wealthy and just have all these nice little things you do just for the fun of it. <laughs> but most people are not like that and they're, they're conscious of the of the investment they're making in the podcast and want to see some bit of return. For some, it could be just a marketing play or just awareness, which is fine. And some of the bigger companies with marketing dollars, they just want presence. But typically we budget three to 4K US a month if we're going to be doing everything for you. And that's everything, including all the production. The consulting is built into that. So we have reporting built into that, graphics, videograms. There's now podcasts because of the availability of tools like Squadcast, high quality video is available. So people are now asking for video edits, snippets of the videos, which we're calling videograms. So there's a lot of moving parts. And so we try to make sure we're creating something that gets you visibility. If you look at the, the podcast index, close to 4 million podcasts, a lot of competition in the space. So I think we want you to be able to speak to an individual audience in a way that uh, gets their attention and right. People are scrolling through social media, so they need media that get, stops them in their tracks, which is why we like the use of audiograms because instead of captions at the bottom, you can read them out karaoke style. And we're just trying to be doing as good of a job as possible to grab people's attention. There's so much competition for people's attention now, and when, especially when it comes to podcasts. And so we have to work extra hard. And if you saw the Edison Research Report, it's the first time the, the number dipped. So it's, I think, just being conscious of how many things people have competing for their attention and where a podcast can, can fit into that. The Edison Research from Tom Webster was great. And yes, you're right. There was a a slight blip as people went back to work. But also, two of the highlights that came out of that, and maybe you can give some commentary to, one was the potential use of video into YouTube as a discovery platform. And the other one was the snippets, as you mentioned, the audiograms, the rise of TikTok as a platform, maybe for podcasters to promote themselves in. What are your thoughts on YouTube and TikTok? You've been Big fans of YouTube since early days. It's a often repeated statistic. It's the number two search engine. Even with podcast junkies, it's something I saw early on. Like we would post even, it's a bit cringeworthy for most podcasters, but the audio with a static image on YouTube. But you'd be surprised if you Google some of my past guest names and the word podcast junkies, their appearance on my show will show up. Even now, if you just Google the word podcast junkies, Probably six, seven, eight out of the top 10 listings are related to my show. It'll be the listing on the show on Spotify. It'll be Podchaser. It'll be YouTube. It'll be several of the YouTube posts. Because if you think about the commonality, these are all sites that are getting a lot of traffic. And so I'm always conscious. It's what we do for clients. I'm, I tell people this all the time. Be on all the platforms from a publishing standpoint. Every single directory that you have access to, make sure you're, you're on there. You don't have to 
promote it there all the time. It's hard for you to figure out which one of these sites, they're going to be doing their own work to get high SEO rankings. And Podchaser is an example. They've done a great job of this. When we publish those through clients, we'll go into the Podchaser and add their guest on as a credit on Podchaser because I want them to be visible if people are searching for a famous name. So I think as podcasters, we can't really rest and there's always new ways for discoverability. But I think it's really interesting to see what YouTube is doing. They're going to be ingesting RSS feeds, which is interesting to see how that's going to work. But I think we'd be remiss if we, you know, slept on paying attention to what they're doing in this space. I feel it's going to be disruptive. They've supported podcasting in terms of reach and availability. And I think that's just going to increase whatever we call it. I know that there's people who have shows on YouTube that don't have an RSS feed, but they still to their audience, they say, listen to my podcast. So it's semantics. And so I think the the short answer is for podcasts to make sure that they have a YouTube strategy built into their marketing plan. It's going to be really important. Podcast doesn't cover what it actually is evolving into, but equally we use the terms Hoover to describe with vacuum cleaner and we use Google to describe search and, and they become synonymous terms that people understand immediately. So when you say it's a podcast, most people understand it's a talking show of nature with yeah. either audio and or video. So sure. I think rebranding it, unless someone comes up with an amazing name, over to you, Harry, unless someone comes up with an amazing name, um, I think we're going to be stuck with the word podcast anyway, video or not. Look, Harry, thank you so much for your time. Tell everyone where they can get a hold of all of these things. So where can they go for forecast? Where can they go for vertical farm? And remind them where they can go for the podosphere. So uh, the short answer is fullcast.co forward slash HD bio. <laughs> It's a page I created with uh, so many moving parts in there. Even got my SoundCloud DJ page on there if you want to go that far back. <laughs> that's a great place to see everything that's happening and obviously fullcast.co for the agency, but it'll list there everything that's happening with Vertical Farming Podcast Junkies, the Podosphere as well. So as an entrepreneur, lots of things in motion, but it's a space that I've just become a part of my identity, so to speak, since 2014. It's an incredible community. And as we just demonstrated at Podcast Movement Evolutions, it's a really great group of folks who are really genuinely interested um, in growing the space, which is really comforting and, and reassuring. Harry, you're not coming to London for the London Podcast Show. Um, you're off to the other podcast movement. Podcast, uh, yes. But maybe I'll see you before. If not, I'll see you in LA for certain next year. That's for certain. So next year's going to be in Vegas, baby. What happens there stays there. That's not very good for podcasters to talk about. Sam, it's, it was a pleasure actually meeting you in person after being a fan from a distance. And just the way things worked out, we got to spend a good chunk of time together and meet some new folks and new faces as well. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Harry Jerome, he's a very nice man. I first met him at the NAB show in Las Vegas about, uh, what, four years, five years ago. And he was trying to get me to make the systems that run pod news used on other podcasts as well. And I keep on being asked, maybe at one of these days I should probably do this. But but anyway, really good to hear that. And and uh, he's a good man and has been working in the, the podcast world for a long time. I'm going to preface the next story with, Acast, we do like you. We really do. But you've been 
a little bit naughty again, or you continue to be a little bit naughty. But let's start off before we tell you why you've been naughty again with your annual report. You saw the company massively grow with a sales growth of 73%. So congratulations. And while its operations in the UK and Sweden became profitable, the company overall still lost 300 million Swedish Corona or 31 million US dollars. It's almost double the loss of last year. So James, what's going on? They, they seem to be growing fast. They seem to be profitable in certain areas, but overall they're losing money. They've not um, made money yet in terms of a company. They're in a very heavy growth mode, which is good to see. The annual report is a really good read, actually. And if you're interested in the podcast business as a whole, if you're wanting some slides for your pitch decks, if you're wanting some numbers, then it's got a load of detail in there, which is really well put together. In there, Ross Adams, who's the CEO, talks about entering a new era in podcasting. He's very bullish, of course, of about the open nature of podcasting using RSS and says that is most certainly where the future is. He's also talking, though, about different advertising going forward, pointing out that podcast advertising has always been pretty good and private and is talking about targeting conversations, not users. And so one of the things that he's uh, talking uh, about is a privacy safe initiative from the company dubbed conversational targeting and really trying to underline the fact that the platform doesn't necessarily attract people, but instead is tracking individual subjects that are talked about in podcasts. So that was interesting seeing that, but it's a really good report and well worth a look at. One thing I did notice, though, is that their total amount of listens is slowing. So they're still growing, of course. They're still growing the amount of people who are listening to their shows, but the total amount of listens that they get has actually halved in growth from last year. Is there something to worry about there? I don't know. Or is, is ACARS just reaching a certain size? I don't know. But uh, interesting to see a little bit of a slowdown in terms of their growth anyway. So it all seems pretty well at ACARS, but uh, Todd Cochran tweeted this week, He's still not happy with them. He got a email from them this week. Thankfully, it didn't start with hello friend. It started with hi podcaster. He said, ACAST cannot decide if they're spamming you or emailing you because you opted in. You can guess I did not opt into their mailings. Idiots. Spammers. <laughs> so uh, Todd was not happy. Idiots. Spammers. <laughs> uh it, exactly. Uh, no, Todd isn't happy. And you can understand why. I've asked in a few places for um, the spam that Acast is sending out to be sent to me. And what I've discovered from that is actually some quite interesting stuff. They are going against specific podcast hosts and actually the contents of their emails is is quite nicely combative against those podcast hosts. So in the state of Blueberry, for example, which um, Todd Cochran owns, of course, then Acast are sending Blueberry customers things saying, here's how to move from Blueberry to Acast. Here are the benefits of doing so. They've done the same thing with other podcast hosts where they've actually realized, okay, Acast has no cap and this podcast host might have a cap and so therefore we're going to promote that bit. So they're doing some very heavy marketing. The only problem is it's illegal. And, and because that you can't do direct marketing in this way and the particular emails that they are sending 
both have bogus uh, copy-pasted stuff from other emails on the bottom of them, don't have the right uh, information for the can-spam law in the US, uh, and it's not the best way to, to proceed anyway. I've asked the company a number of questions about these uh, emails, and uh, I will be following it up. But again, I think I edited out from last week's episode where I was basically saying, please, Acast, stop. But I don't think I'll edit it out of this week's episode. Please, Acast, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Be a good thing. Now, talking about Ross Adams, he will be in London on the 25th of May at the London Podcast Show as one of the keynotes talking about open for business and open for creators. I'm sure that if you fancy asking him about this spamming issue, he won't be so keen. But that said, I am looking forward to that talk because he's actually got some really great guests on the stage. He's got Fern Cotton from Happy Place, Gary Lindiger from Goalhanger Productions on stage with him. And he's got Lizzie Pollock, ACOS Senior VP of Marketing Communications. So I think that'll be quite an interesting talk as well. No, I think that'll be really good. Lizzie is in charge of the ACAST brand, and it's Lizzie that really should be more concerned about what uh, all of this spamming is doing to the ACAST brand. But uh, I think that that should be a really interesting thing. So that's coming up at the Podcast Show London in May. I'm looking forward to that. And congratulations to Sarah Jackson on her new promotion to Global Head of PR at ACAST. I'm sure that she'll be listening intently. Mm. Sure she will. Now, more brain drain from the BBC this week, it seems. Mark Kermode and Simon Mayer, we we talked about leaving the BBC. It seems that they've found their new home, James. It's going to be at Sony Productions. It is, and actually, it's not their new home because it's the home that they always were on. Their show was produced for the BBC by something else, which was, of course, owned by Sony, and... What they've basically done is they've taken their show as an independent show now. So it's now called Kermode and Mayo's Take. It launches in early May. You can also watch that live at the podcast show London as well. There will also be an additional paid show, which is called Take Two, which is very clever, on Apple Podcasts, which is uh, nice. The BBC doing their typical job of uh, treating their people like dirt by cancelling Simon Mayo's security pass while he was still in the building. So he had to ask for help to get out after 40 years working with the corporation. What a company to work for. But anyway, really interesting to see that. There was quite a lot of debate at Podcast Movement Evolutions and on some of the social groups that I'm in about whether the BBC would forward the RSS feed and the answer is a most certain no. They're not going to be doing that. That's why you'll probably see quite a lot of advertising for Kermode and Mayo's take on things like social media. I'm certainly seeing it because they need to keep their audience aware that they have moved and changed. But so many congratulations to them, funded by Acast uh, as well, who Sony Music Entertainment work with. Here's hoping that they have a long and uh, happy relationship on that platform. So when Peter Crouch's podcast moved from the BBC to Acast last week, the RSS feed didn't forward either. But the BBC did allow them to promote the new feed in a special 20-minute advert in the old days. Yes. Uh, according to Matt D. That's nice of the BBC, isn't it? I, giving yeah, giving Aircast well, a 20-minute ad <laughs> in their feed. I wonder how much that uh, that cost. Zero, I'm mm. sure. Now, it does bring up the sticky issue in future contract negotiations, should content creators insist that they take the RSS feed with them? I guess 
who owns the RSS feed. I think that there's so many privacy issues in terms of this. I think there are two things here, actually. I think, firstly, the BBC probably doesn't have the technology to actually do a a relocation in their RSS feed, knowing the BBC as I do. But I also think that secondly, there's a lot of privacy issues with just forwarding an RSS feed to a commercial company. So I can understand why the BBC is not particularly keen to do that, but it should be part of a contract as you go forward. What happens when my contract finishes? Do you forward the RSS feed? You know, you've mentioned Peter Crouch leaving the BBC, Mayo and Kermode leaving the BBC, Dan Walker, who was a host of BBC Breakfast, their uh, TV show, is uh, leaving and moving to Channel 5 as well. And basically, you used to end up joining the BBC 10 years ago because the BBC gave you distribution, gave you uh, coverage of a tremendous audience. You don't need the BBC anymore. And I think that's what we're seeing in the UK. There's no requirement for the BBC to really exist and to put itself in between your relationship with your fans. And I think this is a severe problem for broadcasters all over the world, that they're beginning to see people jumping off their uh, platforms and just using a, a platform that uh, they themselves own. Sean Keaveney was a breakfast show presenter for Radio 6 Music, and he has been happily selling access to a music radio show. Not quite sure how the music licensing works. Probably shouldn't delve too <laughs> deeply into that. But anyway, so he's doing that on uh, Patreon and seems to be doing quite nicely. Seems to be earning thousands of pounds a month from doing that. It reminds me of the power balance change that occurred in football many years ago. They were very limited in their wage caps and they had fundamentally slave-like control by the clubs where they were under contract. They couldn't move, they couldn't change. And then there was the Bosman ruling which freed them up. And then obviously since then agents came into the business and subsequently Certain top players are on humongous amounts of money, like a million pounds a week mm. or half a million pounds a week. This movement here, I feel, from BBC certainly may be indicative of the industry where the control of distribution of content has now been broken. And I guess talent or stars, not just from the BBC, but worldwide, are beginning to see how they can reach their audience themselves. I suppose I've called it DTF, director fans. And I think this is the way that most celebrities are going to start to look at it and say, actually, I can get to my audience myself now without the need of a distribution network. And I think one surprising thing is that the BBC has just added themselves to PodTrack, um, which nobody was expecting, least of all me. What they've done very uh, <laughs> cautiously is that they declined to share their global download figure with uh, PodTrack, but they are there in terms of... U.S. unique monthly audience. Um, they've scraped in at number 20 in the top 20 U.S. publishers. But interesting to see their size, 2.7 million people they reach every uh, single month in the U.S. with their, their uh, podcasts, just to um, compare that with other broadcasters. WNYC is 3.9, so um, half as big again. And NPR is 21.5 million in comparison to the BBC's 2.7 million, so 10 times larger. I find that quite fascinating because that's both the BBC for the first time making themselves available in a ranker of this type, but also Acast for the first time making at least part of their data available uh, in a ranker of this type too. That was an interesting surprise to uh, spot them.
on the PodTrack charts. Moving on, it seems we talked about it and we keep talking about it. it. There is no excuse now for every podcast to have a transcript within it. And we highlighted that Spotify might be bringing in transcriptions. But what about Apple, James? Do you think now Apple are going to be bringing in anything to do with transcriptions? I've not heard anything around Spotify bringing in full transcriptions. What they are doing is that they are doing some automated closed captions in their app. And I think one of the important things here is that closed captions are different from transcripts. Closed captions are those things that appear on the screen that coincide with the audio that you listen to. And those are important, but... At the end of the day, the podcaster should be in control of what those say, as well as a more edited, polished transcript. That's what the Podcast Index namespace has been working on. Spotify certainly isn't doing any of the work around that, which is a a real shame. And that means that it's actually impossible for um, us to give our corrected transcripts to Spotify for them to use because there's no way of doing that. Similarly for Amazon Music, similarly, you know, Apple doesn't have any of these transcripts and so on and so forth. It's a real surprise to me that no one is, none of the big podcast apps yet are uh, taking advantage of the new transcript namespace. It appears to have been work which answers a lot of the questions around transcripts. But uh, one would hope that Spotify and Apple and other people will implement this specification rather than just rolling their own slightly poor automated transcripts. That would be a mistake, I think. We include a transcript with this podcast, but I noted this week that Headline has launched a new transcript service as well called Eddie. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit more of a Descript thing. It's basically Headliner's answer to Descript and it looks rather good. Editing audio in the same way as you would a Word document, you know, all of that kind of uh, stuff. I haven't tried it yet. You've uh, spoken to Neil at uh, Headliner, haven't you? Yeah, they basically feel that this is a service they want to launch. Again, I did try it. It's a little bit basic to begin with, but it's a beta, but it works very well. As you said, it is very Descript. And again, it'll come down to pricing eventually what they price this service at. Mm. But again, if it's reasonably priced, I expect most podcasters can just put their feed into it and it will produce a very good transcript that you can upload, or at least a a transcript that can be useful enough for somebody who needs it. That would be really helpful. And there are actually a bunch of free transcripts or ways to produce free transcripts out there, which is uh, really good. And the benefit, actually, of the podcast namespace is that the transcript can be hosted by a third-party company And that third-party company could be a commercial company if you wanted it to be as well. So it's an opportunity out there for somebody that wants to jump onto this spec and go, I would like to earn money out of this uh, specification by essentially helping podcasters host transcripts. So I think there's real uh, opportunity. So if there are some budding entrepreneurs having a listen, then that's a plan. Quick news now. We've got quite a few little stories that I just wanted to highlight for people. So the first one is the pod sage himself, Dave Jones, has written a vision document. What is podcasting to do all about? I think Dave on his own show with Adam Curry was talking about there is some confusion out there as to what is the podcast index and what is the podcast namespace. So he's written a document about it. It's it's a good piece of, of work basically explaining that podcasting 2.0 is a vision, but it's also the standards to achieve that vision. And he talks about what that vision uh, might be. 
I think one of my criticisms about podcasting 2.0 or the podcast namespace or whatever it is that we're supposed to be calling this is that because it's been very organically driven and has grown very organically, it means that some of the wording around it, some of the language that we use around it isn't really as precise and as clear enough. And it's really helpful to see Dave doing uh, that work. Well worth a read that you'll find in your show notes. If you use PowerPress, which is Blueberry's uh, rather lovely WordPress plugin, in to enable you to publish a podcasts, then PowerPress version 9.0 has been released. It's got improved onboarding and a bunch of other uh, additional tools in there as well. And you can host your podcast anywhere. You don't have to host it with uh, Blueberry. So uh, worth a peek if you use WordPress. And if you're hosting your show on Transistor, they've updated their website builder as well. So again, you can now add extra pages. It's great for adding sponsor pages or about pages. Also, the podcast host has been busy. They have launched something called the Personalized Podcast Planner, uh, which is a free tool to help you kickstart a new podcast. Basically, it asks you a bunch of questions around what your new podcast is all about and gives you a set of resources which are tailored to you and your budget and what you want to achieve. So that is worth a peek. Also, John Spurlock has been doing some very excellent work in terms of chomping the numbers for last month, as he uh, often does. So Anchor, Buzzsprout and Spreaker were the podcast hosting companies who published the most new episodes in March, which is nice. Libsyn rose quite substantially, possibly because of Libsyn Studio, maybe, which is its free podcast host. And what Spurlock has also said is he's um, taken a look at uh, trackers for podcasting. And he spotted that both Podsites and Chartable saw a nice increase in market share, even though they've just been bought by uh, Spotify. So lots of people out there who said, oh, nobody will go with them now that they're owned by Spotify. But actually, the reverse has happened. They've actually increased, which is interesting. Podchaser Bradley Davis has launched their third annual Reviews for Good program, giving 25 cents per review left on Podchaser. So you can get started by leaving us a review, if you like. But no, well done, Bradley. I did see him at Podcast Movement. a lovely guy and a great initiative. If you want to give away a review, they will support it with some money behind that as well. Indeed. And if we respond to reviews, then uh, that doubles the money, which is uh, nice. So that's good. And all the money goes to uh, charity. Daniel J. Lewis, congratulations to him, celebrating 15 years in podcasting. He says he's hosted around a thousand episodes across eight of his own podcasts totaling more than 2,000 hours of content with 10 co-hosts, which is a thing. I uh, took a quick look at Pod News yesterday, and uh, I think I'm four episodes away from 1,250 episodes of that, which is a little bit terrifying, isn't it? But still, but there we go. So congratulations. Don't think about it, James. Don't think about it. Yes, no, I will I will try not to. What else is going on? Advertise casts, Libsyn's advertise cast reported their cost per thousand of $23.44, which is up ever so slightly for March, almost identical year on year, which is nice to see. And Listen is a new podcast playlist app that creates playlists of podcast clips on topics you care about. It's uh, spelled L-I-S-N because where would a podcast app be if it included uh, all of the vowels and all of the words? But an interesting idea there. Well, I think on the back of other companies doing this, Pods is basically what Spotify bought with very similar headliner. If you use that with their tool creates automatic audio clips for you as well and there's a tool called lately.ai that does something similar 
I, I do think all of these are very good because when you get a longer show podcast, if you don't break that down and start marketing it, people may not want to come and listen to the whole show. And obviously, we use chapters to help break that down. But equally, it's a good way of putting out onto social media little things that people can come and dip into. We did see the Spotify. Mm. What was that TikTok-like UI? Yes. Which is basically clips of the shows. It is. It's clips of the shows and everything else. And I think that helps with discoverability, which is, again, something that Adam Curry thinks we don't need. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, our very good friend Benjamin Bellamy has launched Castapod 1.0 in beta 12. It's up there. And also, amazingly, he's got translations of it in now German, Brazilian and Portuguese. You can grab your Castapod instance at castapod.org. So uh, a very cool platform there for hosting as well. Now, there's lots of people moves. Uh, Steve Pratt and Chris Boyce are both leaving Pacific Content, which was the company that they co-founded quite some time ago. Pacific Content was bought three years ago by Rogers. I suspect a three-year clause, don't you? <laughs> In that contract. Something tells me. But Steve is leaving to Innovator Commerce, take some time to search for his next big adventure. Chris Boyce is leaving to, well, actually work for his uh, wife's family business for a couple of months, which is called Mail Order Mystery. But they're both off. It's a great company, is Pacific Content, and they leave it in uh, very capable hands as part of Rogers, which is a big media company in Canada. So they've done uh, very well. Many congratulations to Steve and to Chris. I'm seeing both of them in June for Canadian Music Week, which should be great fun. And uh, I've got a dinner laid out with Steve, so it'll be great to see Steve uh, again. And and something else for you, that's a little joke. Sony Music Entertainment's Global Podcast Division, which of course includes something else, has a head of US entertainment podcasts. She's called Sarita Wesley, and she joins from Fresh Produce Media, and she's looking after the entertainment podcast strategy in the US, which is interesting to see. Now, for your favourite time of the week, James, it's Boostergram Corner. And now it's time for the Boostergram Corner. It's too much. Dave Jones contacting us and giving us a rush boost, talking about WebSub. Yes, because I was talking about the WebSub specification last week. Oh, wasn't that exciting? And I was uh, talking about the length of a lease with uh, WebSub. Dave points out that the hub can allow any expiration it wants, but in practice, everybody uses Google and Google limits to 15 days. Someone else told me it was only 10 days, in fact, that Google are doing. But yes, so it's all about WebSub and all of that. It's good to understand a little bit more about that. So really, we're at a point where WebSub probably doesn't work particularly well at scale. And then we've got PodPing, which uses uh, the blockchain and everything else. And that is an option. And, and that's where we are. So thank you, Dave, for that. I appreciate it. Now, Adam Curry's been very generous, 10,000 sats, but he's not been very happy. <clears throat> I think he's referring to, uh, well, both of us probably. You might want to listen to what we actually said about hijacking boostergrams into comments much deeper than you realise. I did listen to it, Adam. I did indeed. 
<laughs> and uh, Oscar Merry, who may be responsible for some of that, he also sent us 2,000 sats saying, great interview with Chris and congratulations, Sam, on the radio launch. Yes, ah, congratulations you, on the radio launch. You're on the radio now, aren't you? <laughs> I'll talk about that in the end, but it's very weird. Oh, there you go. So, yes, yeah, so events that you should be going to include the Podcast Show London, which is May the 25th and 26th. They've just announced their first wave of content sessions. There are lots and lots of them, really loads of them. Uh, you can find out more information at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Both Sam and I will be there as well. And if you want to save 20% off your day pass, then the promo code is PODNEWS, which is nice. And also Podcast Movement Dallas is coming up, which should be fun in August, which I think I'm going to go to. My track record so far of going to the US has been go to the US once, catch COVID. So let's see what happens if I go again. But then there's also She Podcasts coming up in October in Washington and Podcast Evolutions next year will be in Las Vegas, which is a curious choice. Yeah, so I did, did point out that what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, which really isn't very useful if you're a podcaster who needs to talk about it. <laughs> now, I think we'll be able to talk about that. But yes, it's strange. I was unaware that too much of the podcast industry happens in Vegas. I know that there's a little bit of blue wire and that's it. So it's a strange place to put a conference. I always thought that uh, podcast movement evolutions was set in LA forever. So I don't fully understand that. But in any case, that should be fun. Pod.events is where you can learn more about uh, all of the events going on. What's happened for you this week in Podland? You have a radio station, do you not now? I like a proper radio station yeah. broadcasting over the air. <laughs> To radio receivers. That's the funny thing. So while I was out at Podcast Movement, I think I told you I got my Ofcom license. And then when we got mm -hmm. back on Monday this week, we actually got it turned on. So like the sado that you said I would be, James, I sat in my car at midnight waiting for the signal to go on. And yes, I've done the obligatory post to anywhere and everywhere of my little radio station on the DAB in my car. It's one of those things, I've always said that DAB doesn't mean that the world will come to your door. You still have to tell people that you're there. But what it has done is a lot more people have said, oh, on my way to work, I can now listen to you all. And we've suddenly had people a long way away. We know we've got a, a vast area that we cover. But we've suddenly had people in Southampton and Oxford who could pick it up, which is outside of our known permitted broadcast region. So I'm really chuffed. We will see the numbers because it's digital we will know the numbers very accurately. So give us a couple of months and we'll uh, be able to say how accurate our DAB uplift has been. Very nice. What else have you been doing? Well, apart from creating our wonderful YouTube channel, I was uh, <laughs> the guest slot that I had on Buzzcast on episode 73 is out. So if you fancy a listen to me again, that may be an overkill. But if you do fancy listening to me again, then I'm on with Alban and Kevin. Excellent. And I'm sure that Alban and Kevin have slightly more energy than I do this week. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, when did .fm become a thing for podcasting? Sounder.fm and many others are now using .fm, I noticed. Is it a thing now? Well, I mean, .fm has existed for many years. Last.fm was a big thing. And uh, there are a bunch of these .fm TLDs, which is supposed to be something around audio and, and radio and that sort of thing. It's owned by a nice man called George, who was at podcast movement, which is nice. Yes, I would agree that .fm is a bit weird for podcasts, but it's probably the best that we've got. There is .audio and uh, Earbuds is now available at earbuds.audio as one. So .audio is a pretty nice top-level domain if you care about such things, but obviously there's uh, all kinds of other plans in there as well. What was it that we looked at probably six months ago? We came up with the idea of 
possibly dot podcast or dot pod. And when we investigated mm. it, James, didn't we? I think it was about half a million quid to start it or some stupid idea. But it was half a million quid to go through all of the regulatory hoops. And even then, there's no guarantee that it would start. And certainly talking to people who've been playing around with top level domains and everything else, they're basically saying it's really difficult to make money out of. And I think our plan was that might be a way to earn money for the podcast index and for various other things. I, I, it looks as if it's quite difficult. And there was a big rush for new top-level domains three or four years ago that, that haven't been any more that have been properly launched since. And I'm not necessarily sure that it's a quick route for riches and success. Certainly, if you need to make back half a million dollars, then that makes it quite difficult. But still, there you go. I've got a dot .radio domain for my, my radio station. But if there's a yeah. domain host out there who thinks that they can chunk out half a million quid, maybe... Dot podcast is the one they should go for next. Yes, and the reason why dot radio exists is that dot radio was there specifically for uh, specifically for the EBU, the European Broadcasting Union. So the EBU just uh, trying to get a little bit of internet that they control, which is uh, always nice. But now it's top level domains have always confused me, and at the end of the day, dot com or dot net seem to work quite nicely, and that's probably where we should be. So, James, what's been happening for you in uh, Podland this week, apart from catching COVID? Yes, I managed to catch COVID, the proper COVID. I am, so legally, we are under isolation and we've been under isolation now for the last six days. Tomorrow, we actually, uh, I can actually leave the house again. And so can the other two people who live with me. So that should be nice. So looking forward to that. Hooray. So apart from that, very little. And yes, I've been working mostly from the spare room bed because that's all that I can really do. And, and negotiating time in the office so that I can be in here with my infections. So that's Did been Did your fun. daughter say to you, did your daughter say to you, Daddy, you've been to LA and what did you bring back for me? And I don't think your answer was COVID. <laughs> yes. I think, I think I got it from the Uber driver on the way back from the airport here. That's where I think oh, wow. I got it from. But anyway, I don't think I probably got it from anywhere else. But anyway, there we are. Uh, looking forward to waving goodbye to uh, COVID uh, restrictions uh, tomorrow to be able to go out and get a decent coffee which will be a uh, trem tremendously good thing. I've uh, very much missed decent coffee. And that's it for this week. Uh, thank you to Harry Duran for being on earlier. And if you enjoyed this show or any of our previous shows, then tell your friends on Twitter or LinkedIn or TikTok about Podland News or just retweet one of our episode posts. That would be nice too. And we've got an email address, haven't we, Sam? We have. It's comments at podland.news. So do send us your comments, even though both of us seem to be. And you'll find all our previous shows and interviews at Podland. News. If you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app as well. And all of the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts too. And our music is from Ignite Jingles and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at Busbro. Keep listening. Mm -hmm.